Hi, I'm R.A. Salvatore, Bob Salvatore. Been writing fantasy books for 25 years now and going strong, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment over here on SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your host, Marks. And Julie, and Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. And for today's show, we're chatting with New York Times best-selling fantasy author and game designer Margaret Weiss, who brought us the fantastic worlds of Dragonlance, the Death Gate Cycle star of The Guardians, and many more. And with her game company, Margaret Weiss Productions, she has brought us some of our favorite TV shows to the role-playing game medium like Firefly, Leverage, Supernatural, Battlestar Galactica, and more. And the one person crucial to helping her in making the Firefly role-playing game also joins us in this episode. It's author and game designer Monica Valentinelli. We hear great stories about how they got started in writing and game design, what projects they're working on now, and what they have planned in the near future. Plus, we have them answer some audience questions. Yeah. Now, before we get started with the interview, we do want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It's a song composed and performed by our friend Tishon Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. And now the wait is over and the interview starts now. Dragonlands. After 300 years of peace, the evil goddess Takesis and her unstoppable army of dragons have descended upon the mystic world of Kryn. Now, a handful of warriors must battle the forces of darkness in a struggle to save all they hold dear. Well, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. First off, we just like to ask, how did each of you start off in writing? Uh, I think we'll start off with Margaret answering that, if you don't mind. And because I know Julie wanted to hear about how your early writing involved children's books. Yes, absolutely. Come on. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I majored in writing in college and creative writing. And uh, kudos to my parents for letting me major in what they considered <laughs> a major that was never going to earn me any money. Um, so then after I graduated, my mother got me a job as a proofreader in a very small publishing company in Independence, Missouri. And, um, I had kids, I was married, I worked for 10 years writing and I, you know, and I, I wrote at night and on weekends and I had this big box of stuff that I would write and it never sold. (laughs) And I just kept writing. And then by a serendipitous encounter, I met my agent, um, the guy who would become my agent, Ray Peekner, and sent him some stuff. And he said that wouldn't work, but I should send me something else. And he was the one who actually got me a job writing children's books. My first was with Simon Schuster. I wrote in, uh, a biography of Frank and Jesse James because I was really interested in the Civil War. And uh, found out I was distantly related to, um, by marriage, to um, the James's mother. After that, it, the children's publishers would talk to my agent and say, who have you got that would write a book about robots? And he'd say, Margaret. And so probably the most interesting was a World War II adventure book written on a first or second grade reading level for prisoners. <laughs> so, <laughs> second grade might have been a little fun. aim and high then. Oh, yeah. 
So uh, I learned a lot about writing and got stuff to add to my resume and made my agent happy. And um, he actually was the one who got me my job at TSR and kind of went from there. That's interesting. All right. And Monica, how did you start off? I think I think your writing's got a little bit more of a darker tone, if I'm not mistaken. At least uh, I don't you know, know that writing. you've written any children's books. Does anyone would want to read their children? <laughs> I have. Oh. oh, hey, we're on. Yeah, but but um, I think it's it's kind of funny because I actually can't remember not writing. The first story I published, I was nine, and it was for a Halloween contest. And it was it was a rather dark story. So I, I mean, I was writing, <laughs> I was writing that sort of genre even back then. Um, like so Margaret, I also went to the school counselor. They published it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was some of that. There was a little bit of that, just because you know I was really into reading. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe was a big influence on me, and I started reading fairly young. So I read a lot of books. I mean, always in the library, always reading books. And, and Poe was one of my favorite short story writers. So that was a lot of fun. I still, the Raven still gets me every time. And then like Margaret, I went to, uh, I t- majored in creative writing in college as well. And from there, I actually didn't pursue writing as a career because I didn't know how so what I did is I worked in the real world for a while, just trying to understand the fundamentals of business to have something that would allow me to pursue my writing elsewhere and fell into a small press. I was working with quite a few small presses and fell into the gaming industry to kind of build my resume and whatnot there. And now, I mean, I've got some announcements on the horizon and hopefully we'll see some novels in the future. So I kind of took a little bit, longer to go that novel route, but I'm very happy with the path that I've taken. It's worked well for me. Great. Short stories worked well for (laughs) Poe. Now, you mentioned you got involved in gaming, so you're you're very heavy in gaming now, uh, game design. So why don't we start off with you, Monica, telling us how you you got involved in gaming, got involved in in Margaret's company. How I first got involved in gaming, it was really interesting. Um, I answered an open call for a company called Abstract Nova Entertainment, and he was doing a game based off of Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis. So I got to write a few of the entries for that, and that was really the start of my game freelancing. Right. How I got to work for Margaret is when, even before they announced the Firefly license in March, they had a consulting period where I was part of a team of people where we were talking about the possibilities and the potential. What would happen if Margaret Weiss Productions were to get this? license. And I was one of the people that was part of that discussion. And they offered me the position before the license was announced. And we set up a plan and Margaret kind of laid out the directives about what she wanted and whatnot. And then from there, it's just been nonstop Firefly ever since. I mean, it's been awesome. (laughs) We've done so much so far. And it's just been great. I mean, this has been a fantastic experience. I can't even I have no complaints. I mean, to work with Margaret, I mean, I used to read Margaret, right? So I used to read her book (laughs) when I was in college. So this is like a weird, like, space-time continuum break for me because I never (laughs) in a million years would have thought that I would have been, you know, writing for Margaret or working with her. So I'm very, very, very happy. Well, Margaret, how did you go from children's books to game design and then eventually creating your own game company? 
I'm kind of stuck here trying to picture uh, role-playing a cockroach from Metamorphosis, but I'm going <laughs> to get over that. Because um, <laughs> that's what you said. That's what you said. Yeah. <laughs> They'll live forever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, again, serendipity. I read about TSR in Publishers Weekly when I was an editor for this little company, and they had this whole article about this company that had gone from ranks to riches basically in Gary's garage, you know. Then they were on the Fortune 500 list. It just sounded absolutely fascinating to me. So I got a friend, and he played Dungeons & Dragons or ran a D&D game for my family. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was so great for my kids. So when I saw an ad in Publishers Weekly that they were looking for a game editor, I sent in my resume. And they sent me back the test, the game test that you took to show that you knew a lot about games, which I didn't, and so I flunked the <laughs> test miserably. Um, so as it happened, Jean Black, who's the, who was the editor of the book department, called my agent, Ray Piegner, and said she was looking for an editor who was also a writer, and did Ray know of anybody? And Ray said, why, yes. <laughs> I have a client, Margaret Weiss, and she's already sent in an application. So Jean went over to the game department and pulled my application. She really liked what she saw, and so she called me. I borrowed some money from my parents because I was newly divorced, totally responsible for two kids. So I uh, flew up to Milwaukee and interviewed with Jean, and she hired me that day. Oh, and that's great. So, yeah, that's that's how it went. <laughs> um, it was meant to be. It was. <laughs> now, how did that evolve over the years into you actually creating your own game company? Uh, wow. Um <laughs> That involved me getting married again for the second time. And my husband at the time, I had breast cancer. I was thinking of something to do other than thinking about the breast cancer. And at the time, I was doing radiation treatments, which meant we had to drive an hour each way to Milwaukee every day to get my radiation treatments. So we started talking about, you know, ideas for games and stuff like that. And we started a, a company. Uh, trading card games. Uh, we had met with Peter Atkinson. He was really nice, talked to us a lot. Uh, from there, when the trading card game market kind of imploded, we moved on to role-playing games, and then I got divorced and inherited the company. So kept on from there. <laughs> we got the serenity license. Hey, if you got the awesome. company and the divorce, you won. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um and, uh, you know, so I got the Serenity license and lots of licenses after that. It, it's just been lots of fun. Uh-huh. Now, the first role-playing game I ever played was, like, classic Star Wars. and uh, But but actually, the first role-playing game book I ever read, oddly, I think unusually, ended up being the paperback RPG companion book to your, like, your Dark Sword trilogy. And, um, uh-huh. And uh, I know I really enjoyed gaming on the point as a player, but that was the first time I kind of got to see, like, how to do the rules and everything. So it was a really cool introduction, and it was a really unique format of how it was done. I was kind of wondering how that kind of evolved, what what sparked that idea, because I haven't seen it done very often. No, and I really think it would work again if we, you know, somebody would just give it a a try. Uh, Tracy and I had written Dark Sword for Bantam, and at that time we were transitioning from TSR, in fact, 
it was during that time, I think we both of us left the company or shortly there, maybe it was shortly thereafter. That was during the Lorraine Williams reign. So we got, Bantam was really excited about tying us back into the role-playing game industry and Tracy had an idea about doing an RPG, but Bantam couldn't figure out how they would sell like this giant hardback, plus it would be expensive. So we got the idea of doing a paperback and doing a story that would go along with it and put the game out in paperback format so it would be shelved right there with the paperback book, mm-hmm. which I still think was a great idea and is a great idea. Uh, it's just nobody has ever done that since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was because I found yeah. it in my library. I was like, hey, Dark Sword trilogy. I can't remember if I wrote read Dark Sword or Dragonlance first, but um, I can't believe uh-huh. I had it in that library in that small town. <laughs> yeah, I had too because it's very hard to find. <laughs> and, I mean, it's 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 a very very like you took it in the surrounding towns, so they'd be on their way to a decent sized town. So what she's saying is I, I was raised in a small town. <laughs> I'm shocked. It was uh, cool. But but. You know, they didn't have D&D books in the library back then. And so they had that paperback there. And I was like, hey, it's another book. And then I looked at it and I was like, wait, what's this role-playing game? It's kind of like that Star Wars game I played. Star Wars thing I did. Interesting. And so it was really cool. It sparked my imagination. Yeah, because most people's first RPG is D&D, I think. Yeah, it wasn't D&D for me at first. So not not. Oh, we're the original Star Wars generation. So that's why. Now... Margaret, you and Hickman have been credited for, for starting the sort of subgenre of game-related fiction. Now it seems like every role-playing game book out there has has a, a book tie-in. So back then that was like, I'm pretty sure the first or one of the first that did it. It was the first, mm-hmm. yeah. So was it a risky idea back then, you know, creating this Dragonlance book series with the role-playing game? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we, the whole, there were many first with Dragonlance that were considered risky ideas. Dragonlance was the first role-playing game that had an overarching story arc. Mm -hmm. Before that, you know, there was like, you go on a quest to find the dragon, you kill the dragon, you get the treasure. Next next module, you find the dragon, kill the dragon, get the treasure. (laughs) I was going to start with the dragon. And there's dungeons involved. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The dragon. I mean, it's not his fault. (laughs) Yeah. So... Tracy and his wife, Laura, came up with this idea on their drive from Utah to Wisconsin to go to work for TSR. And the idea was that you had a role-playing game that had a higher purpose than just killing dragons. And so they came up with the idea of Dragonlance, in which there were good dragons and bad dragons. You were trying to save the world from the evil queen of darkness. And they envisioned uh, three modules that you would do this, that players would play this. Well, the company liked the idea, and they expanded that to 12 modules, Mm -hmm. one a month, and then there would be these books that would would accompany the modules. This was Gene Black's idea. And uh, this was the first time that TSR had ever published adult books. Dragonlance was also the first game to have pre-generated characters because we needed those characters to be in the modules that would also carry over into the novels. Right. Uh, Gary was totally opposed to this idea, <laughs> absolutely hated it. Uh, in his mind, role-playing games, the fun was rolling up the characters. Gary was out in California at that time, however, and we just kind of chugged along under the radar. <laughs> um, and then it came to being published, 
and nobody had ever heard of Weiss and Hickman. Our distributor, Random House, predicted doom and gloom. The novel was going to fail. Management gave Tracy and I to understand that we would be selling the books door to door. Mm-hmm. They published the smallest amount of paperbacks they could publish for the cheapest price. The first book sold for $2.95, and they only did a print run of 30000 Oh, man. Yeah, and, um, you know, much to everybody's astonishment and surprise, uh, and after a whole another big turmoil, the first book hits the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> so they had to print some more. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> now, it's it's well known that uh Margaret you don't re- actually read fantasy books much. So and I and I get the impression that you're not like like a super avid gamer, gamer yourself. Currently. Yeah, currently. So where do you get your Those, influence? Yeah, the reason I don't game a lot is that all my players, the people I used to play with moved. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should do uh Google Hangouts. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not really the same. You can't share brownies or nudge someone awake. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> uh, you could poke people on Facebook, though. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm curious what authors uh, do actually influence you in your writing. Oh, wow. I tend to go back to the classic Charles Dickens, Blake House, David Copperfield, let's see, Jane Austen, Alexander Dumas, The Three Musketeers. I'm doing kind of a series of swashbuckling books now that I... I go back to Dumas. Mysteries, I'm a huge mystery fan. I could never write one, but I love reading them. I'm reading the Louise Penny novels right now. She breaks every single rule in writing that anybody ever taught me, but she gets away with it. They're just absolutely amazing. Let's see. I, You know, just uh, Chaim Potok, love his novels. <sighs> Mary Renault. So, yeah, I could go on and on. Yeah, so it's not very genre-specific. It's just good writing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and Monica, so what are your influences? What what authors influence you? Oh, jeez. We know Poe. <laughs> we know Poe. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Poe was an early influence. You don't know Poe. Oh, uh, I'm curious what about. Uh, since, <laughs> <laughs> since a lot of people who Poe like. Poe was an early influence for me. Uh, you know, a lot of the Twilight Zone, huge influence for me. I really liked Twilight Zone growing up. Uh-huh. Also Hitchcock. And a lot of his sort of atmospheric stuff. The fiction, I mean, I've read everything. So I just read very fast and I really like books. So you name it, I probably have read it. <laughs> and I tend to like big, the joke is I like the bigger, the fatter the book, the better. Mm-hmm. Because I read so fast that I like to either get in a series or like epic fantasy where, you know, it's it's 700 pages. Um, Tad Williams' books, for example, are really cool for that reason. Because each book I know, it's like it's like a thousand words long. And I know it's going to take me a couple days to get through it. So that's sort of the, the guideline that I have. I mean, I do read sometimes for fun. And when I do, I, I tend to read in a genre I don't normally write in. Mm-hmm. Just because it's something that, you know, I can turn off my brain and just, just read it. But. I mean, there's there's been so many. It's hard to pinpoint just the one. It's funny you mentioned Ted Williams. I'm re- reading Outland right now. And yeah. I'm really enjoying it, but it is a lot. 
<laughs> book to go it through. It is a lot. I didn't like the ending. I'll tell you that. I, I won't tell you what the ending is, but I didn't like the ending. Oh. <laughs> he talks about it so much, I feel like I'm reading it. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. There's a video game coming out based on that, too, an MMO. I heard something about that, yeah. Mm. Uh, what about uh, Lovecraft? Is that an influence on you at all? I know a lot of people who read Poe like um, So I came into Lovecraft late. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I read King and I read Barker and a lot of the horror authors, especially in the 80s when horror was more popular than it is now as a genre. And I didn't find out until much later that Lovecraft was one of King's influences. So sometimes what I like to do, because I'm a super nerd, (laughs) is I like to read authors in chronological order to see how they started and then see how their writing style progressed. And I think it's really interesting when I hear of other writers' influences because sometimes what I like to do is go back and then read those and then see how that affected their works. And that's kind of how I fell into Lovecraft. It was that, and a lot of people were talking about Cthulhu, and I didn't know who that was. <laughs> I was like, You're oh, like, what kind of name is that? Yeah, I mean, this spell check doesn't cover that. So, um, so then I went back and I read, you know, more of the more of the classics and kind of focused a lot on pulps. I read that and I read, you know, a lot of Robert E. Howard stuff. I find Lovecraft to be really interesting and I like, and his worldview is very interesting, but he is for me very hard to read. So I can only read one short story and it, it does take me a little bit because the, the tone and the, and the language is, it's is a bit, not, it's a bit cumbersome. It's wordy. It can't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's my euphemism for it. It's cumbersome. Yeah. I think there should be Cthulhu versus Dragonlance. I'm just saying. I read one one horror author, and that was Shirley Jackson. And she was amazing. I loved her stuff. And I've never read anything after her. She ruined you for everyone else, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... I think there's two different kinds of horror. And for me, I always liked the one where there was more mystery to it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, my tastes always were like, I loved Agatha Christie. I mean, that was those oh, yeah. for me. And I really like the more mysterious elements of that stuff. But if it's like really gory or anything like that, then I probably won't read it. Because yeah. it's just not, for Did me, you that's not Jackson. I don't know if I have, but you know what? I'm going to add that to my Yeah, uh, We have always lived in the castle. That okay. is just absolutely amazing. Haunting of Hill House, that's her most famous one. I think my favorite was I we, have always, we Have Always Lived in the Castle. We Have Always Lived in the Castle. I'm going to check that out. I'll put it on good reads. Of course, everybody knows the lottery because you're forced to read that in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's disturbing. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. <laughs> So we talked about influences from authors. What are your influences when it comes to games, gaming design, game mechanics? You know, what kind of games you guys have played? Oh, gosh. Wow. Um, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's a loaded question. Uh, yeah. You know, when we worked for TSR, uh, we played games on the weekends, and we didn't want to play Dungeons & Dragons because we played that, you know, we were involved with that all week. Mm-hmm. We played a lot of Toon. Back in the day, uh, we used to have some crazy tune games. Uh, Michael Williams, he wrote the poetry for Dragonlance. He was a psychotic duck called Quackwillen Onassis <laughs> in, a, in a pillbox hat with a submachine gun. He was, uh, was crazy. 
So that that's one I remember vividly. I think that's a book right and there. Just, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> all sorts. Just because we had there were we were around so many games and all the game designers, everybody was always playtesting. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. But, uh, what about you, Monica? What about your uh, game influences? I tend to like Margaret. I have to play a lot of different types of games so that I understand other sorts of games, like professionally. But personally, I like games that are a little bit easier to get into. Character creation, usually, if it takes longer than half an hour, I tend to kind of tune that out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that's the really the good test of a of a system whether or not I like it is how fast character creation takes. I started out with Vampire the Masquerade, so I came at it from a completely different aspect, more of a storytelling-based aspect. So it's it's a little it's a little interesting to me because you know I fell into D and D and really appreciated all of that work later, as opposed to the sooner aspect. Um, And I think it's probably because of the groups that I was running around with in college and just who I happened to run into. It was just sheer dumb luck that I didn't start with D and D. But now I play a lot of different types of games. You know, I I play everything from the White Wolf stuff to obviously the Cortex Plus stuff that Margaret puts out mm-hmm. and Classic. I've also tried to play Classic as well. Um, had a session of that to kind of get a feel for it. But a lot of different types of games. What's the one that I like really liked that I played that was an indie game? Fiasco. I had a lot of fun with Fiasco. Cool. Savage Worlds. You know, just a lot of different types. I tend to prefer more rules-like games. Yeah, if it, if I'm I'm well known for I'm a more casual gamer. <clears throat> if it's a very rules-heavy game and somewhat they're spending 15 minutes arguing about the math of some sort of thing, I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and the joke is, wake me when it's my turn, and then I just like do a quick, and then I bash him in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think it's a style, though, right? And I think that. I think that it's interesting because there's definitely an audience that likes the style of very rules-heavy games. I think that's great that there's stuff that like that there for them, but it's also nice to have the rules-light games or the more streamlined games too, because it just kind of shows you just how many different types of players there are. Yeah. And you know, I I think that's one of the beauty of being in the gaming industry is that there's if you can think of a game that you like to play or a style that you have. There's a game out there for you. Yeah, that is really great. So let's talk about the Cortex rule system. Let's talk about your games. What's a rough idea? If someone is listening to this and they haven't played any of your games to date, how does it compare to some other games and, and, uh, you know, just a general feel of it? Well, if I could, I'd like to start by asking Margaret to talk a little bit about Cortex Classic because that's a really important part of the history of the evolution of the system. And, you know, the Serenity RPG was a big milestone for the company. Margaret, would you like to start us off? <laughs> uh, we, when we designed, when we got the Serenity license, um, we wanted a game. We knew that there were a lot of people out there that were huge Firefly fans. Brown coats. <laughs> they, yeah, but they had never role-played before. This wasn't like doing your standard adventure module for what you knew would be a D&D crowd. So we wanted a game system that would be very easy to teach somebody how to play. And one of the things I was most insistent about was that the dice rolls should make sense. I mean, with Dungeons & Dragons, somebody always had to tell me which dice to roll. I never understood it. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it to this day. I just, you know, roll the dice. 
And what I loved about the Cortex Classic system was that each die was a skill roll. So, you know, you knew your strength was a D8, your, you know, wisdom was a D, whatever. And we went from there. So, you know, if you were shooting something, you would do strength versus skill and, you know, roll those two dice and that was it. That's kind of a simplification. That's one thing I really like about that system. And we actually, when we played it at, I think it was Dragon Con, uh, we could actually teach people how to role play within five minutes. We'd say, you know, here's your character. This is what you roll. This is why you roll it. Go. <laughs> oh, that's really great. And we had assets and complications that kind of helped flesh out the character. For example, Jane had the complication of crude. And um, so, you know, when when Jane would try to do something, if the complication crude came up, you know, he's trying to, you know, get into a fancy restaurant and drive the major d. Uh, well, knowing Jane, he just goes ahead and slugs the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that as you know, that makes life hell for Jane and for the crew. So we added that distinction, and we just kind of went from there. And then Cortex evolved uh, when we got different licenses like Smallville and Marvel, where we felt that the game needed to reflect more about the uh, uh, more about the license, about the setting. And um, so it kind of went from there. And Monica will take it from here. <laughs> Thanks, Margaret. I, you know, I obviously I haven't been around the company very long, so it's really helpful to have Margaret on the call because she can remember things that I just don't know. <laughs> so it's great. So yeah, I mean, there there's an evolution of the system. Cortex Classic is very easy to learn, and it it's its own style. And Cortex Plus has three different styles within that umbrella. There's action, there's dramatic, and there's heroic. And each one kind of has its own little tweaks and niches. What's really cool about the Firefly game, and real quick, I'll just tell you the difference in case you didn't know. The Serenity RPG came out in 2005, and that was based on a license with Universal Studios. And this, is, which debuted in 2013, is based on a license with Fox. So this is primarily grounded in the television show. So there's a lot of things that we can do setting-wise that are really pretty awesome because we can dive deep into each episode that was in the series because there was only 14 of them. And, you know, we can do rules for Badger and Patience and all of those secondary characters that you saw on the show too. So, but one of the design goals for the Firefly RPG was not to leave the people that played or bought the Serenity RPG completely behind because it was a very popular game for the company. So a lot of design decisions, we took influence from Cortex Classic and influence from Serenity RPG without taking things full cloth because this is a brand new license. When you see Jane's character sheet, for example, instead of having assets and complications on the character sheet, we have what are known as distinctions. And um, the distinctions can be used either positively or negatively. If you use it negatively, you get a benefit or a bonus uh, called a plot point. If you use it positively, you get to roll a D8, which is a die type. So Cortex Plus uses very similarly different types of dice from a D4 to a D12. And the Serenity RPG uses D2, incorporates a D2, but the Firefly RPG does not. So it's a little bit different there. Mm-hmm. And in our game, uh, the new one, Assets and Complications, are on the table. 
And that's where the good luck, bad luck aspect of the show kind of comes into play. So it, but we kept the skills, right? So you're always rolling an attribute and a skill. You're always rolling two dice no matter what. And then you're adding other dice to create a dice pool. And all you're trying to do is beat the GM's total. And the GM's total is always rolling two dice no matter what. And then they create their two dice and then, or their dice pool, and then they add the two highest together. So, for example, let's take Jane, because Jane's a fun character. Say somebody makes fun of his hat. <laughs> the, GM, the GM would roll two dice and call what's known as setting the stick. So he's going to pick a difficulty die. And we'll just call that a D10. And he's going to pick a die to represent the extra or the thug in a D8. So he's going to roll those two dice, and he gets a 5 and a 6. So he's going to add those together and get an 11. Now, you as a player have to roll, as Jane, what are you going to do? So I'm guessing Jane would probably slug the guy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he would roll his attribute die, which is the physical, D10, and then fight which is another D10, and then his mercenary die, or crude, or family ties, depending upon how he wants to narrate that scene. Or if he wanted to butt him with a gun, he'd also add Vera, because Vera is um, equipment in the game are known as assets and signature assets. So he's going to roll all of his dice, and he gets a 16. Well, guess what? He slugs the guy. He does it so well. He goes flying across the room, and because he beat the GM by five or more, he gets the big damn hero die. So he takes his highest die type and then banks it for the next time. So there's some definite influences from the Cortex Classic system, but it still uh, uses the same engine that Cortex Action, which is found in Leverage, and, and how some of those other Cortex Plus games work. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, you have a lot of um, uh, great licenses because we love Leverage. and All of them, basically. Yeah, I think um, all of them. Yeah, so I'm, are you both fans of all these shows i've been uh, you go I, first margaret <laughs> yeah a huge fan of firefly yes, um yes. Mm -hmm. so monica <laughs> well i mean i can't think of anything else i go to sleep i think of the verse you know <laughs> <laughs> because i mean we've been diving we're working on the core book right now and that's pretty much all we've been doing is you know, I mean, talking everything from naming conventions to um, we just did the math on our ship chapter. And I think we've um, I think there's like uh, 10,000 different permutations of ships that you can create. I mean, there's all different kinds of. Yeah, I mean, this has been my life and it's been really, really fun. So um, kind of have to be a fan. If I didn't like it, uh -huh. I wouldn't. Have yeah. Taken <laughs> okay. That's a good lead into one of our, our first <laughs> listener question. Yes. From Ryan McCurdy, he asks, what's the first step in creating a game? So w once you get one of these licenses, or maybe that could be your first step, whatever you want to, however you want to start it, how does it get developed? Like like Supernatural or Smallville or, you know, the Supernatural. various games you guys have. Woohoo, leverage. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm, wow. Any <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's so many steps, and it kind of seems like they all happen at once. Yeah, each game was different. With Dragonlance, it was it would actually, Dragonlance started with Kitty, Ara, Lorana, and Tannis. Tracy had an idea for a game that would feature those three characters and knights that rode on dragons. Uh -huh. And that was the basis for Dragonlance. 
So Firefly, obviously, it would be the episode and the characters. Probably the characters would be our starting point. Of course, we already had the game system. We just needed to modify that. But the characters and then the verse and the, the verse in which they live and travel. Monica, what do you think? Well, I think the timing of the license has a lot to do with the decisions that have to be made because, you know, each license is a business agreement with however long the license is. And for me, I'm I'm very pragmatic, so I tend to look at what the what the schedule and what the goals are. So I know I probably annoyed the living bejesus out of Margaret when I first started because I asked so many questions to find out what she wanted <laughs> um, just because you know, having a license is such a huge deal because you're not only are you putting it out to reflect the company's reputation and Margaret Weiss Productions has always had a reputation for quality, but you're also putting out a game that's representative of the license for the fans. So that requires time to do some research, right? To get the world right and to get some of those things right. But then you also have to figure out what the goal of the game is. And, and in Firefly's case, you know, and, and Margaret alluded to this earlier when she was talking about Serenity, and Firefly is much the same thing. You want people who have never role-played before to be able to pick this game up right. because they're fans of the show and maybe they never rolled dice before. And that had a big impact in the design decision. So for us, we actually did some simultaneous development because of Gen Con, because we were going to lose the opportunity to engage fans in playing Firefly and give them something really cool for Gen Con if we waited until next year, because that would have been over a year and a half into the license. Mm -hmm. We decided to put out, uh, Margaret, I think this was your idea, right? The exclusive? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was your crazy idea. <laughs> a good idea, but crazy. Um, awesome on that one. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Margaret wrote her first adventure for that, which was I did. huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great like 40,000 words or something crazy like that. <laughs> it's really awesome. It, she actually set the bar for the setting in the license because she did all of the setting development, which was just, just phenomenal. We really super needed that um, because we were focused on the back end more on how the game played system, play testing, you know, trying to get the rules right. Because when we put out the exclusive, um, and we put this together in three months, it was yeah. a 271 page product in three months wow. with wow. all the art, all the writers, all the game design, everything, because we wanted to make the promise that the core structure of the game would not change when we put out the core book. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we've done. And it was, it was a very time consuming, you know, all of the emotions that you can think of during that period, that's every single range of emotion we went through, mm -hmm. but probably one of the most rewarding things I have ever done because it was a fan promise we made, nailed, and we're going on to make all the other ones. And it's just fantastic. I mean, we ended up expanding our original demo program because of the exclusive. We were originally just going to run 10 demos. We ended up expanding them to 20. And Margaret's adventure and then the other adventure and the exclusive is what our GMs ran. So everybody had a really good impression to play the game. And I think we introduced the game playing-wise to about 300 players which oh, is just, excellent. yeah, it was really cool. So, so when you're, when you're normally doing a game, that's a little bit crazy, right? It's a little bit of an accelerated schedule because the only reason why we were able to do that is because we had talented people that already knew the system and already knew some of the history of Cortex Plus from having been with Margaret Weiss Productions for a while. Otherwise we never would have been able to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. 
you know, because normally coming up with a brand new system, there's all these little bits and fiddly bits and pieces and stuff that come into play, but using Cortex Action as a basis worked really well. And we've grown a lot since then, and I just, I'm really excited for what comes next, so. Okay. I was going to say, now, um, I know, Margaret, you said that you're a huge Firefly fan, which is really cool, by the way. Is that, I mean, how do you go about deciding what what shows that you're going to make a role-playing game out of? Did you, like, I love Firefly. That should totally be a role-playing game. Let's make it happen. And then, you know, you watch Leverage and Supernatural and go, or did you think maybe these, shows have such a fan base that might it might be a really wise business decision because their fans might be into this. You know, Firefly was totally because I love the series. <laughs> and uh, when when we heard Serenity was coming out, I just, I, I thought we, we really need that license. Nobody was more shocked than I was when we actually got it. <laughs> um, generally, when we're looking for a license, you can't just take any popular show, you know, and turn it into a role-playing game. For example, you don't want shows where there's one major character. You know, you want an ensemble cast so mm-hmm. that everybody gets a chance to play, you know, like uh like like what whatever characters they like, different characters mm-hmm. instead of just supporting the main hero. So that's one consideration. Uh I think we look we're looking for shows that appeal to a demographic that we know is interested in role playing games. So that's just that's some of the considerations we we go through. So no Grey's Anatomy. Oh, <laughs> darn. <laughs> well, you know Grey's Anatomy would work because there's an ensemble cast. You could play, you know, any of the different characters. But I'm just not but the, sure. The storyline you know, would be who's sleeping with who, and that would pretty much be. Yeah, it. exactly. Oh, that could be interesting role playing. <laughs> <laughs> you are not larping Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Or teaching surgical techniques, probably not, you know, something that uh, that you really want to get into. <laughs> I'm, just well, tell- something- I'm just telling him he is not LARPing Grey's Anatomy then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> something, something Margaret brought up that I just want to touch on real briefly. Um, you know, she mentioned the ensemble cast. That's a huge consideration for any company, whether it's Margaret Weiss Productions or not, to put together a role-playing game because if there's no ensemble cast, if there's no reason for the players to sit around at the table, I mean, Firefly is pretty easy, right? Why are the players together flying across the verse? And it's to do some kind of job or to take on some kind of cast to earn money or backstab the Alliance Mm -hmm. or run away from the Alliance to live and fly for another day. So the game concept is really solid. But, you know, every game has to ask two questions. What do you do as a player when you're sitting down at the table? And what do you do as a team? And if there's no ensemble behind the license and it's just, you know, a bunch of characters that don't are, it's more about the personal drama, that can have its own sort of game elements too, but sometimes it doesn't make great for a group role-playing game. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with D&D, it was always, you know, you're... You're a dwarf and elf and a mage, and you meet in a tavern, and somebody hires you to go save the the mayor's daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's how they put an ensemble together. Yeah, and yeah. Th- that actually doesn't work very well on television usually. No. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Um. And we, you know, we encountered that when because I was asking for you know what are the most powerful moments in Firefly that you want to learn how to role play, and there was you know a significant about a third of the comments were about a powerful emotional moment 
that they felt connected to a crew member where they said something witty or they did something that they normally didn't do or something like that. And that's, those are some of the moments that come out naturally at the table, but that's not something you'd roll dice for. So it's, it's really interesting to me because it's that interaction and the banter is one of the reasons why people really like Firefly in particular very much, but it's also the reason why people really get into television shows. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Once, Once Upon a Time. Oh, yeah. And, and I think it's, a lot of fun because I like to see the way that they're reinventing some of the characters and, you know, I like to guess who's Pocahontas and who's not and all this other <laughs> kinds of stuff. But, but if that character element wasn't there and it was just, you know, this is a reimagined fairy tales thing. Well, you know, I, I already know the story of Cinderella, but yeah. it's that human element that they're bringing back into it. And that's one of the things that we're focusing on when we, when we talk about and teach people how to play the game is how to get that, level of crew interaction if you decide to create your own crew yeah they have a really good you know reimagining of it and they have a really kick-ass cast they always seem to have have i'm thinking hey another license oh yeah (laughs) and and don't forget once upon a time in wonderland's coming out too yeah wow so you get to yeah That that one looks interesting. Yeah, looks more adventure. I can't wait to see. Oh, what's his name? The actor where I can actually understand him better. The (laughs) the English guy from Being Human. He he was really awesome in the in Being Human as the the werewolf. But right. Yeah, you only understand about a third of what comes out of that poor guy's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, in addition to licenses, though, I'd like to take the opportunity maybe let your fans know that we do have games based on Margaret stuff coming out. Oh, Ooh, good. what do we have, Margaret? Uh, on the smart selling series I was talking about, Dragon Brigade, mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be a Cortex. Is that an action game, Monica? Or drama? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I believe it is based on action as opposed to drama. So. Yeah. But, yeah, but it introduces magic, which we we haven't used introduced magic into Cortex Plus. So this game will introduce magic, which is part of the novel. And that's not sure when that's going to come out. The artist, uh, the game is done. We're just waiting on the artwork. Uh, so that will come out and introduce magic. Um, we've got some other plans, other game stuff in the works. Kind of fun. I heard rumors a while back. Possibly my favorite series. My second favorite is Dragonlance, but my favorite, I think, from from you is Deathgate Cycle. I heard a rumor uh-huh. of a Deathgate RPG. Is that a Ooh. possibility? We're really, really thinking about that. Right now, Firefly is sucking up huge amounts of time, which is great. But Deathgate would take a lot of time to do. And so that's kind of simmering on the back of everybody's mind. You know, we've talked about it. We, we're thinking about it. But, you know, nothing, nothing at the moment. Okay, Marks puts in one very strong vote, and I second the motion for one. <laughs> <laughs> and and for the Cortex rules, you know, you have stuff like people doing OGL, you have other people doing uh, similar type of licensing the rules and stuff. Does, do you ever license out the Cortex rules, or have you have you done that yet? No, I'm not sure if you have. Uh, we haven't done that yet, but we are planning an OGL type thing with, with Cortex, and that's something else that's coming out in the future. We just have to get everything nailed down. Oh, that's excellent. Ooh. All right, so I better get the rest of these listener questions before we forget, okay, before yeah. we're out of time. <laughs> so. Oh, the next one is, oh, from Stacia Outfield. Hi, Stacia. Uh, we used to belly dance together before she moved. <laughs> Her question is, are there any more books about, oh, am I saying that's right, Raceland in the works? 
Are there any oh, more books okay. about Ray Flynn in the works? I know he's a favorite character of yours. My husband and I will keep patiently waiting when you do. So the problem is I see these names, but I don't know if I say them correctly. Ray Flynn and all the Dragonlands books and characters are owned by T- Watsi. I almost said TSR. They're owned by Wizards of the Coast, which is owned by Hasbro, and they're no longer publishing Dragonlance. So, mm-hmm. for the moment, no. Oh. Yeah, I figured that was good. I mean, I would love to. Tracy and I have some awesome ideas about what we would do with Dragonlance if we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we have another question. Ron Newcomb asks, is there any talk of turning any of your, I'm assuming he's meaning your books here, into a film or show that hasn't been? Any kind of optioning that you've been trying to do? Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> you probably would know. I would imagine you'd know. <laughs> okay. So well, you'd be, you'd be surprised. Oh, yeah. well, if it involves Hasbro, I probably wouldn't know. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so he has another other part to oh, the uh, question. Uh, uh, to add to that myself, I'm kind of curious because the Dragonlance animated movie, you know, came out a year or two ago, a couple yeah. years ago. Uh, did you were you even aware of that being made at the time? Were you at all involved in it? Oh yes, I was involved. I got to do the coolest thing. The guy who did the music. I thought the music was the most awesome part of that. Uh, and his name is just totally escaped me. He invited me to Minneapolis where he had a recording studio, and I got to sit in on the recording of the music for the film. And that was that was the most incredible experience of my life. It was just so cool and. I know the animation had problems, and it turned out, I guess, to be a really huge popular drinking game. Uh, <laughs> you really? Because, yeah, because Tracy and I have cameos in that movie. They made little animated pictures of us and or cartoons of us, and whenever we would pop up in the movie, you would take a drink. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I thought the the music was just absolutely splendid, and and I was always really yeah. I mean, the movie did good. It did better than a lot of people thought. It certainly exceeded Paramount's expectations, mm-hmm. but uh, it had problems. The director and the animator got in a huge fight, which I didn't realize until after it was all over. It was. It was difficult, <laughs> but I loved the music. <laughs> I love to see live action someday. I think. Uh, I think, especially the the Dragonlance Chronicles would make a really yeah. exciting uh, live action movies. Now, also, Ron Newcomb also asked another question, uh, and I'm not sure. He says, "How has the industry changed, and what's ahead for us?" I don't know if he means role playing game industry or book. So we'll, we'll tackle both, I guess. What, what do you guys think? Oh, the book industry has changed immensely, and I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, the, the advent of ebooks has just, you know, revolutionized the industry. As far as role-playing games, we're seeing a real resurgence. You know, we were losing market share terribly to video games, and uh, but I think people are getting tired of just sitting in front of a screen, and they want to get back to playing games with their friends and, like you said, eating eating Doritos around the table. Um <laughs> We're also seeing a lot of women, a lot more women in the industry playing the games. Uh, we're seeing a lot more families. Gen Con introduced Family Day on Sunday, and we've seen just a just a you know a really big jump in our sales. Sunday used to be really dead for us at Gen Con, 
And since they've started having Family Day, we've seen a big jump in sales. Uh, families are getting into it. So I'm very positive about the future of the industry. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's true. We've been to Gen Con, we've been to Dragon Con, and, you know, these different conventions, and it really is a very family event. I mean, you see, fam, you know, parents there with young kids, even young babies, you know, in strollers, and sometimes the whole family's dressed up together. <laughs> it's actually really <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah, and I think and it's more social than video games. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Not hating on video games, but uh, it's a I don't experience. really like video games. I never mastered Pong, uh-huh. so <laughs> I have a beef with those. What about you, Monica? What do you think? Well, I mean, a, lo- a lot of what Margaret is saying is is absolutely right. I mean, the thing is, is that you know the the ebooks have revolutionized the publishing industry. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. I mean, there's there's a lot of question about where the technology is going to go, which company is going to survive, what bookstores they're going to do long term. As long as there's readers and as long as there's writers willing to write good books, there's always going to be some form of publishing. I I just have no idea what that's going to look like. Getting into the industry now is completely different than it was 5, 10, 20 years ago because I mean the publishing industry has been pretty much the same for years and this has just thrown everything, you know, upside down. In a good way, though, I mean, there's been a lot of very positive changes, I think, and readers, you know, are getting more access to different types of authors than they have anymore. It's just it's just a matter of, you know, it's still going to take some time before it kind of settles down. And I, I think it's really interesting, too, because the the writer-to-reader connection has increased with a lot of this upheaval because, I mean, now instead of sending a writer or a favorite author a, a fan letter, for example... Now they can just, you know, write into a podcast and have them ask their question for their favorite writer on the show. And Mm -hmm. it's just a really kind of a neat sort of environment for that. And I think it's very an exciting time. Um, With respect to role-playing games, my personal opinion is that it has partly to do with the economy. When the economy takes a dive, people are always looking for different forms of entertainment. And as Margaret had suggested, I mean, role-playing is a very social activity that teaches a lot of really good skills. Um, you know, you have to problem solve and you have to have, and still have fun. And, you know, you buy one book or one game and it takes, I mean, just buying the Firefly core book, for example, would give you thousands of hours worth of gaming Mm -hmm. and you can't get that kind of value from any other type of game. And there's so much replayable value and long-term value. I mean, it's just a matter of getting a group together. So I think there's a lot of reasons for it to survive long-term. It'll probably go through another incarnation like it has been. But from my perspective, role-playing games are ahead of whatever the publishing industry is going to do because they were working with PDFs years ago. I mean, Margaret, do you happen to remember when you first started working with digital PDFs for games? I remember when when I went to to TSR, we were editing on-screen. We were doing on-screen editing, and we were – way ahead of the publishing industry where you were still turning in manuscripts that uh, you might print them out on a computer, but to use Courier 12 so that it looked just like the old-fashioned manuscripts you got on a typewriter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were we were way ahead of the publishing industry. TSR was as far as, as, far as you know, printing art and just, uh, just about everything. Yeah, and that's that's been my experience as well with, 
you know, just playing and talking to people and, and, you know, being in the, with the experiences that I have. And I just feel like if you want to know where the future of eBooks is going and publishing, like, so what's happening in games? Um, I think people are a little tired of having content thrown at them and they want to make better choices. And, you know, games provides social activity that, you know, isn't just sitting down and watching something. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's really exciting and, I don't know. I mean, I'm really glad I'm in it. And there's one other part. I think Ron Newcomb wants to get more bang for his buck. So we can ask him. How- <laughs> Wait, whoever well, this guy is, I like how he works. He's got like, I have a question. Boom. All right. Um, ask it's each- funny too because I, I do play Final Fantasy. So it's like I, I still have some love for the video game industry, but I rarely, I mean, I play social games more than I do yeah. video games anymore. So Yeah. I never got into video. Marks used to be more of a video gamer, but not for a long time. Okay, so his last question is going to be for from Ron. Is going to be for both of you. You can go in whatever order you want. If you have a best fan moment that you would like to talk about, encounter with one of your fans. Oh wow! Um, I guess this would be. We were Tracy and I were doing a signing at an army base, and I can't remember which one. It was out on the west coast, and. Um, you know the the soldiers, army personnel was getting were lining up and they were ta- you know signing the books and talking to us. And this one man came up in a wheelchair, and we were going to sign his book. And he said, "No, he said I want to stand up to meet you." And so with great effort, he stood up. Oh my gosh! And, yeah, we we signed his book, and then he said, "I want you to have this." And he gave us a box, and in it was a bronze star. And I still cry. Oh. Um, and he said, because of you, 12 men are alive today. And he told us a story about how he was in, I think it was Afghanistan. And um, they they had gotten ambushed. And he he was pinned down and he, he and his squad. And he said to himself, what would Stern Brightblade do? Or how would Stern react in this? And he said, and I did what I needed to do because I thought about Sturm, and we pulled through. And uh, Tracy Tracy has that to this day. We told him we wouldn't keep it, but that whenever he needed it back or his family wanted it back, to let us know. Wow. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Monica, try to be, follow that one. <laughs> no, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my God. <laughs> Thanks, Margaret. <laughs> oh, that is an amazing story, though. That is so great. And the fact that he was able to stand and, and meet you was amazing. Both Tracy and I were crying. It was it was really something. Um, Tracy still had. All right. Well, before we wrap things up, we do want to do our shameless plug time where you guys tell everybody where they can find you online. Uh, we're at uh, MargaretWeiss.com. Really easy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's W-E-I-S, one S, right? One S, yes. Okay, great. Uh, and and um, our books are available on DriveThruRPG. Um, they're also available online. Uh, the Firefly exclusive, since it was just, you know, it was exclusive to GenCon, but you could also buy it online on DriveThru. But it is going away as of September 30th. Ooh. So also, you, so you want to get that now. 
my very first adventure, The Wedding Planners, which is really awesome, is also available on Drive Through RPG, as well as the other adventure, uh, Shooting Fish by Andrew Peregrine. All right. Monica, anything you want to add? Sure. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about our Firefly RPG plans, if I could. Um, my personal website is, because my name is so long, actually, it's, uh, <laughs> Margaret and I have had this conversation. I, uh, I actually asked her if I should get a pen name, and she said, no. No, not <laughs> really at this wrong, point, no yeah. Um, it's mlvrights.com. But um, for Firefly, I wanted to talk about the release schedule a little bit. So in July, we released Wedding Planners Classic set, which is for anybody who likes Cortex Classic and remembers the old game system um, that was used for the Serenity RPG and a few other science fiction related games that has Margaret's adventure in it using all the Cortex classic rules plus all of the main cast of characters. It's also got some other special little Easter eggs in it and that's available in digital on drive through RPG. Um, and then we have the exclusive, which is a preview of the core book and our digital line of adventures called echoes of war. So Margaret kicked off the line with wedding planners and um, once the exclusive goes away, her adventure will still be available standalone, but the exclusive is kind of like everything. It offers two adventures and um, puts everything in just one big package. Um, so the Wedding Planners Plus version will still be available after September 30th, along with Shooting Fish and the Serenity Crew. And then we're going to have more episodes each Firefly Adventure is called an episode. And those will be released ahead of the core book. And the core book is going to debut at your friendly local game store nearest you in February. So that's what we're focused on wrapping up right now, both writing and editing-wise, so we can get that get that underway to layout. We've got, it, it's going to look awesome. Um, Margaret's been very involved in that process to try to ensure that, you know, she's been giving art direction and I've been working with her on some of the canon-related stuff, and we've got just a great, great, fantastic team. I'm really super excited about that. But if you're mildly curious about the game, the exclusive will give you what you, and Echoes of War will get you what you need to start playing, and the Firefly Core Book is going to give you everything that you want and a lot more. It's going to be awesome. Take my love, take my land, take me where I can't stand. I don't care, I'm still free, you can take the sky from me. Hi, I'm George Strayton, screenwriter of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, special thanks to Margaret and Monica for chatting with us, and we look forward to seeing many more books and games from these two creative pros. And also, we want to thank everyone who submitted a question for them. Even if your question wasn't chosen, we really appreciate having a, yes. a great variety to, to choose from. Yeah. Yes. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Coming up in the future episodes, we have the creative minds behind the popular indie role-playing game rule system, Fate. Yes. Now, in a few weeks, director John Badham will be joining us to discuss his new book, John Badham on Directing. He directed classic films like Short Circuit, War Games, Saturday Night Fever, and many more. I think you may have heard of him. So click on over to our website at genretainment.com or our Facebook page to send us a question for either guests. And we'll pick our favorites or, you know, some of Randomly. our top favorites. We're row 20 side. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should do that. Now, if you like this interview and you may enjoy our last episode in which we chatted with the game designers that brought us the games Mutants and Masterminds and DC Adventures, 
And you can find that past episode and all of our past episodes at genretainment.com and just click on the podcast link to find them. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, you can also check out the other great shows on the Sci-Fi Pulse radio channel like SFP Now, The Roundtable, and more. Until, Until next, next time. time.